0: as I said, we are beginning a new series of messages today, and as you see, the topic is entitled, or the the message series is entitled Authentic. Those of you who've been around Coastal for a while will recognize that as one of our core values at Coastal. Uh, Our desire is to be authentic. We want to be real, right? Uh, We we come here not uh, to be uh, on display on the Lord's Day, for example. We come here because this is a This is a hospital where all of us who are in some degree of spiritual unhealth come to find healing and hope and uh, strength. And so we're grateful to be here. We're grateful to be honest and authentic with each other. And we are getting underway in the book of James. So find your way there and uh, put a bookmark in there because it's going to be till August before you hear me mention a different text from that. And uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. But while you're finding your way to James, let me just mention a couple of things. I think they are both in your bulletin, so I just want to point them out. We are in the process of getting ready to send our students from Coastal uh, to Longview Ranch for a week of summer camp. and. Uh, as you can imagine it's not inexpensive and for some that becomes a bit of a financial burden so if you're interested in helping uh, assisting getting students to camp uh, you can check that out the information is there in your bulletin and then this coming saturday is coastal's food mission which i have mentioned before at our yorktown campus they can always use your help we feed hundreds of families every time we do this each month third saturday of the month Uh, They would love for you to be there to help. Sometimes it's just to walk around and push the cart for someone uh, while they are receiving much needed uh, food and assistance and just engage them in conversation. And uh, so uh, there are lots of things you could do. So we would be glad if you would participate in that. All right, James, this is a fascinating book. Some have called it the Proverbs of the New Testament because there's a lot in James that is... Kind of just uh, kind of pithy sayings. Occasionally it's a little lengthy section, but sometimes it's just a couple of verses, and it's giving us wisdom to know how do we live life, right? The difference between knowledge and wisdom perhaps could be described as knowledge being information and wisdom being practical application. How do I take what I know and use it in life? Now, it's not on your screen, but I want to mention a couple of things so you can kind of get into the flow of James here. James Uh, As you may recall, if you have uh, studied the New Testament a lot, is a brother, was one of the brothers of Jesus. Now, when John talks about his brothers the first time, it's in John chapter 4, or rather, John chapter 7, he mentions that his brothers didn't believe in him. Now, I suppose, among other things, you can imagine why that would be, right? If you've ever, growing up, had a sibling where your parents would maybe in a frustration, uh, a moment of frustration, would have said, why can't you be more like your brother? Imagine if your brother was Jesus, right? (laughs) And James and the other siblings to Jesus in that family, many of them grew up not believing that he was who he said he was, that he was not the Messiah of God. He wasn't the anointed one. But there came a point in the life of James where he came to recognize the reality of who Jesus was. And that's why he introduces himself as James, a servant of God and of the Lord, Jesus Christ. He acknowledges his lordship. He acknowledges that he is the anointed one of God and knows exactly who that is. It's Jesus. It's a fascinating thing to recognize that the man that is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here, is doing so having come from a background of unbelief. Having come from a background of saying, no, I'm just not, I'm not going to follow this. It can't be the one, right? But he came to understand that he was the one. He was the Christ. And so with that in mind, James launches into his letter, and he doesn't take a long time to introduce himself, and he's not... Uh, flowing and flowery like perhaps some of the other letters in the New Testament, but he jumps right into the middle of things, and he is moving topic by topic. But bottom line, I think the theme could be how do you make your faith practical? How do you live faith out in daily life? If your faith does not work itself out in your life, the argument of James is it's Pointless. What's the point of that? You just believe some facts. You believe information. Lots of people have information they believe, things that they hold to, religious tenets that they hold to, but it doesn't translate. You've heard that argument from friends of yours, perhaps, right? That that you know that don't know Jesus, and they say, I'm not going to church. There's a b- bunch of hypocrites. They say one thing on Sunday and they live differently all week long, right? Faith that doesn't transform how I live isn't genuine faith, according to the book of James. And so he spends all of this time through this whole letter explaining how to make it practical. How do we take our faith and make it practical? I know, and I, I joked about it, but it's perhaps not even really funny, right, that we are all facing some sort of trial, or we have recently Or we're about to, and we just don't know it's here yet, right? We are all in a setting in life. We've been in life long enough, most of us, to know that life includes trials and testings. So I'm encouraged that the first thing James decides to jump on is, how do you face that stuff? How do you do that, right? Perhaps some would approach it with this kind of attitude. Two frogs fell in a pail of cream, or so I've heard it told. The sides of the pail were shining and steep. The cream was deep and cold. Oh, what's the use? Croaked number one. Tis fate, no helps around. Goodbye, my friends. Goodbye, sad world. And weeping still, he drowned. But number two, of sterner stuff, dog paddled in surprise. Surprise. The while he wiped his creamy face and dried his creamy eyes. I'll swim a while at least, he said, or so I've heard he said. It really wouldn't help the world if one more frog were dead. An hour or two he kicked and swam. Not once he stopped to mutter, but kicked and swam and swam and kicked and hopped out of the butter. (laughs) Well, that sounds great, right? Unless you're in a trial and somebody says something like that, right? And then you just want to slap them right? That doesn't help. When I'm facing a hardship, all of my, oh, every obstacle is just an opportunity in disguise, brother. Doesn't work, right? How do I face trials with reality and come out on the other side? So I want to talk about fixing our focus as we're going through trials. They are a part of life. I would suggest a necessary part of life, It is how God has designed the growth process for us, is that he would allow us and sometimes put us in situations that will stress and will stretch us and will grow us in ways that we would not otherwise be able to do. But we must have the correct focus. So let me read these verses first, okay? James chapter 1, verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's it. I'm going to talk about those three verses today. We have to begin by having the correct focus. He says, count it joy. That's our consideration, and it's an imperative It is a word that's written in a way that says you have to do this. This isn't a way that James says, I'm I'm suggesting it, it would be better, this would really help. He says, no, you have to consider it joy. You have to evaluate it and you have to draw the conclusion that it's joy. You have to be of this opinion. You have to decide in your heart and spirit that this is all joy. Now, that doesn't sound a lot better than like frogs in cream, right? Well, just be happy, right? Don't worry. Be happy, right? It, It doesn't sound like it makes sense. Total, complete joy. A reason to have confidence in your spirit that God's being glorified in your life. Something that buoys you up in the midst of trouble. Consider it to be joy. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 29. There's a couple of verses in the scripture that make me stop and pause. This is one of them. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake. It's been granted to you. It's a gift that you get to suffer for Christ. Now that, of course, is specifically in relation to to my testimony for Christ, when people are, are persecuting me or mocking me or there's some kind of difficulty or tribulation or trial related to my faith, but it has been granted to me. That's a whole different perspective than what we're accustomed to, right? This has to do with changing how we think so that we will change how we feel. I've talked before about my counseling process, right? We, we have what we feel, what has brought us to a, a place of, of decision and we figure out how to, what am I thinking that's resulting in those feelings and we work our way down through and we or how am I acting, what am I thinking, change how I think, eventually it changes how I believe. That's true, that's what James is talking about. We have to change how we view trials by considering them joy. That is contrary to everything that is around us, right? It's contrary to everything that's in us. We have come to believe that trials are something to be avoided. We believe that trials come as a punishment. Remember Job's friends in the Old Testament book of Job? Job suffered immensely, lost everything, his children, his wealth, his home, everything. And the best his three friends would come up with could come up with was, "Man, you must be one whopper of a sinner. You must have done something really horrible to deserve this from God." And the whole argument of Job was like, what did I do? Point tell me so I can fix it." We're told from the very beginning that God knew Job was a man of integrity. Job was a man whose faith, affected his entire life which we will come back around to at the end of this message because that's what Job's or what James's appeal is let your faith influence everything about you make you perfect and complete for Job it was true and God and Satan were having this discussion have you considered my servant Job now if you're Job and you knew that conversation was going on you're probably one of these like don't mention me everything's fine I'm good right have you, have you have you noticed job here's a man who loves me and serves me and of course satan is like well no wonder his life is great why would why would he not okay take it away and job still served god and the only struggle job went through was partway into the book when he began to move from asking questions i don't understand i'm struggling with this lord i don't get why this is happening to questioning god's right to be in charge. And that's the only time God steps in. And really, he doesn't do anything other than remind Job of who God is, how big God is. Get Job's vision of who God is corrected. We think they're punishment. We think they're to be avoided. We think they are not good. My argument is not, let's love trials. Let's go find them, right? That's not my intention. But What I want us to think about is we need to reorient how we view them in the first place. And we also need to change our expectation. It's interesting how he does it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. When it happens... It's not a discussion of whether it will happen. If it happens to come up, here's how you should plan for it. No, when it happens, when it occurs, when you encounter these things, don't be surprised. In fact, Peter says the same thing in 1 Peter 4.12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to test you as though something strange were happening to you. We need to change our expectations. Our expectation for life is not that it ought to be safe, soft, and comfortable, right? Our expectation of life ought to be realistic. There will be some safe, soft, and comfortable. There will be some well-provisioned, and there will be some times of struggle and heartache. That's life, right? That's a realistic view of life, and our expectations need to be that these things will come, and when they come, I have to figure out how I'm going to negotiate that in my mind. Most of the time, trials are unplanned and unexpected, right? In fact, one one writer said, much of the strength in temptation lies in our never knowing what it's going to do next. Trials come out of the blue, just like an accident on the highway. You don't plan to get in an accident. You don't plan for a trial to come. You don't plan To come up with some sickness that you have to negotiate. You don't plan for a relationship to go south. We don't sit back and think, okay, what's the best way I can go through a trial without really getting completely demolished? We don't plan for any of those things, nor should we. But we do think through how are we going to do this? How am I going to correct my focus so that when these things come, It doesn't devastate me. Consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. That's the variation of it. So it is not only that there are trials and that we know they're coming, but they come in a great variety Paul Cedar has written and given this this suggestion for three of them that I think is a fair thing. One is a cause and effect trial. One is a trial that happens because I have done something and the result is this trial. Perhaps it's a result of my obedience. Perhaps I have followed after God. I have lived according to his standards And now I'm taking flack for it. Or perhaps in in some places in the world I'm being beaten or persecuted because I've taken a stand for the truth. Whether I'm being beaten and persecuted, even more and more nowadays in our culture, right? We are finding ourselves, when we speak the truth, however graciously we say it, we're going to get flack for that. We're going to be taken to task for that. Sometimes it's cause and effect because I've been obedient. Sometimes it's cause and effect because I've been disobedient. I have not done things the way God has designed for me to do things, and therefore the ramification of that is it's not working out right. God designed the world. He designed us. He created us, and he knows how it works best. When we don't do things the way God intends for us to do them, we cannot expect the consequence, the ramifications of that to be positive things. Sometimes it's obedience, sometimes it's disobedience, but it's a cause and effect. Sometimes it's remnants of our former life, right? We live in the reality that in our past life, there are things that we did or said or behaviors or patterns that we lived with that are still impacting how we live today. We can't change what has happened. We can't change the natural consequences of life. Sometimes it's cause and effect. Sometimes it's a spiritual trial. It comes from just living our Christian life, right? Sometimes there are seasons of loneliness, separated from family, separated from friends because... We love Jesus and we want to honor him and they don't get it and they don't want us to be like that. Sometimes there's just a mysterious trial. We don't know where it came from. It's not identifiable. We can't say, oh, this is happening because whatever. Sometimes it just seems to happen. They come in all sorts of varieties. We have to begin by having the correct focus. Then the second thing we do is recognize the immediate value. Verse 3. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. The, The first thing we think about is approval, right? That word testing is a word that means approval. It's testing with a view to being approved. It's testing with a view to finding something good. So if you found something that you thought was gold and you took it to wherever you would take something like that to have them test it for you, you wouldn't go and say to them, listen, I hope this isn't gold, but just in case, right? You would say, hey, check this thing out for me, and you would hope it's gold. Your intention with getting it tested would be to see that it was of some great value. The testing, the approval process of your faith is a really important thing it shows what has been attained so we take tests in school to find out what we've learned we take tests in in our work or in our business life sometimes we we pass certain certifications and we have to demonstrate what we've learned listen here's the difference we don't have to prove to god what we learned God already knows whether I've learned this. I need to know whether I've learned this. And testing helps me to know where I'm at in the process. That's a really important thing. I need to know where I'm at so I need to know so I can figure out where to go. testing produces steadfastness. That production is an important thing. It prepares me for something. It creates in me, it generates in me something, and that something is called steadfastness. It produces the ability to remain under. Now, we are all very well acquainted with that. We just don't like to apply it to our spiritual lives. right? If if you begin to go to a gym, for example, You won't, if you go steadily and faithfully, you won't be able to do as much at the gym as you will a year from now. But the way that you will get to where you want to be a year from now is by slowly, faithfully practicing the ability to remain under, perhaps if we want to be really specific, under the weights, right? If you're lifting weights, you have a certain amount, and you don't want to be lifting the same amount a year from now. You want to be lifting more, or at least be lifting them more times, right? There there is something to that. If you're an athlete, you train not just so you can stay where you are, you train so you can become more effective as an athlete. There are people who love running. I will never understand that. I would say we can't be friends, but I have friends who love running. But it doesn't compute for me, because the only—I can think of two reasons to run. The first is the one they run. They love to run, and they run basically so they can learn to run more, right? They they run so they can run further and faster and longer. I run if I'm in trouble, right? I don't want to, I don't like running. I don't mind exercise. I love exercise, but I want to be doing something. I don't want to just be running somewhere. I'd rather go in my truck and then go do something when I get there. (laughs) But we need to learn how to remain under because life is made up of good times and hard times, of positive things, and of stresses and struggles, and we know that as long as we're alive, there will be some more down the road, and we need to learn how to be able to remain under. When children are young, we don't expect them to function as adults, or not all the time. Sometimes we do, but we shouldn't. But we do train them gradually to accept increasing responsibility so they can be fully functioning adults. But that's not a good enough reason, right? I mean, I don't, I don't want to embrace trials as a reason for joy just because it'll make me better at embracing trials, right? I don't want to learn to face trials just so I can have more. Learning to stay under isn't the only thing, nor is it for James. Because he says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Ah, so there is a reason for this. There is a a benefit. There is something positive. Now we're talking about the anticipated result, not just the immediate value but the anticipated result. Remember, this is all helping us to change our focus, to change how we approach the inevitability of trials. There is an anticipated result. The first has to do with perfection, which, of course, doesn't mean that I can anticipate I'm just going to be perfect here eventually before I get to heaven. That's not the point of the word. It, is, it has to do with maturity. It has to do with genuineness. It has to do with being fully developed, fitted for what God wants you to do in the world. When a person is learning to play a musical instrument, we don't just hand them a guitar and say, hey, why don't you lead worship Sunday morning? There is a process of training. They learn to play the guitar first. They learn to sing. They learn to do both at the same time. There are things to learn. And when a person is complete and ready and mature in that process, we say, hey, listen, why don't you lead a song? Right? There's a process involved. The same thing in anything. You did it in your job, right? You didn't just get to where you are in your job without learning some things along the process. And you became more and more perfected, more and more uh, mature in your ability. And then the second thing is complete. Perfect and Complete. Entire, whole. This is really, really significant. This is talking about how James intends, God intends, for our faith to affect everything about us for it not just to be a compartmentalized thing where I show up on Sunday morning and I sing some good songs and I hear a sermon and I go home and I think, boy, that was really good. Or maybe not, but hopefully. It is talking about integration. Remember I mentioned Job? God said, have you considered my servant Job? He is a man of integrity. Everything Job does is impacted by his love for me. Job functioned as the priest in his family. He got up, he offered sacrifices on behalf of his children even. He was a man who loved God and honored God and sought to walk with God. It affected everything about him. That's what James is challenging us with. Understand, consider it joy because testing brings the ability to stay under and you can grow so you can handle more of what life throws at you and that that results in you being mature and complete in letting your faith affect everything it's really easy for me to let my faith affect what happens when i get up in the morning if when i open my bible or open my app and i read some scripture and i spend some time in prayer okay I've finished that, now I can move on, right? Or I show up at church or I go to my small group and that's my spiritual part of my life. This word about being complete has to do with how our faith affects everything. So my faith affects how I handle my finances. My faith affects whether I give a portion to God, and whether I save a portion, and whether I spend it wisely on the rest of it, right? My faith should affect how I stand on moral issues. My faith has to affect how I stand on truth. Are things running through your mind right now? Are you thinking about things like the whole Discussion going on in our culture about gender issues? When Genesis said God created the male and female and when we decide, well, let's talk that out. There's nothing to talk out. God created us with two genders. We don't get to add or do anything we want to because our faith, trusting in God and what he has said, has to impact every part of our life not just the ones where it's convenient. It's got to affect my attitude toward abortion or whatever other issue you want to bring up. It has to affect that. I can't compartmentalize my faith and say, well, that refers to spiritual things. Everything is spiritual for a follower of Jesus Christ. How I treat my wife is a spiritual issue. How I treat my children or my parents is a spiritual issue. How I I work, my work ethic when I'm at my job is a spiritual issue. It's not just a chance to make more money. It is an opportunity to honor God by being faithful and diligent at what I do. All of these things are impacted by my faith. And trials help cement the reality of my faith so deeply that it begins to find itself working itself out in every area of my life. Our culture would have us compartmentalize it. Oh, sure, be a Christian, that's fine. Go to church, that's fine, that's okay. But don't try to get me to believe what you believe. Even though the Bible tells me I have to evangelize. I am obligated before God to go to all the world and preach the gospel, including people who disagree. So when someone says, don't try to get me to believe what you believe, I would have to sin to cooperate with them. No, I'm not going to be ugly about it. If they're not going to listen, okay. But I'm not going to stop telling the truth because some people react really violently to it. I can't. Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Having everything necessary to be faithful to God, a ripened character in which there is no inadequacy. Now, listen, I get it. I feel very inadequate. I suspect you do as well. But my adequacy is in Christ, and it is is brought through... What did Paul say? My strength is made perfect, complete in my weaknesses. Trials bring out the strength that God has given to me to accomplish what he wants me to do. So I've got four thoughts on your bulletin there to take home with you. As it regards trials, try to determine the origin, if you can. Sometimes it's helpful. Sometimes you can figure out, right? Maybe this is because you took a stand for truth and you're taking flack for it and consider it joy. Jesus did. In the world, you will face tribulation. I have faced tribulation. You're going to face tribulation. It's going to happen. So it's okay. It's not comfortable. It's not fun. But it is a cause for joy because I know that God's being glorified in my life. If it's my disobedience and I can do something about it, then I need to stop being disobedient and I need to start obeying God. If it's something that's in my history that I can't go back and fix, then I accept the reality that God is faithful even when he is allowing natural consequences to come to bear. And I will honor God with my life and my mind and my heart now. Determine the origin if you can. Don't focus on the trial. I wish I had taken the time. Uh, there's a, a Robin Williams movie uh, where he's the doctor in training. I forget even what it's called. But anyway, they, it talks about how many fingers do I have up, right? And he says, you're you're focusing on the wrong thing. How many do you see? Oh, now I see four, right? Sometimes we get so focused on the trial that we we lose sight of the Lord who is taking us through the trial. Like Peter, walking on the water, right? He was okay. He was making it through that very tense situation. You just don't walk on water. I love fishing. In fact, I've had a couple of fish hung up in the trees. I'd love to just walk over and take care of that problem, but I can't do that. Peter stepped out of the boat... And the text tells us that when he looked around, he began to sink. What a picture of the mercy of God, right? Because do you ever know anybody who began to sink? Right? You don't begin to sink. You either are walking or you sink. There is no begin. He be- I, I just envision that he began to go down in the water because he had time to say, Lord. And Jesus grabbed him by the hand and they walked back to the boat. Because we get our eyes off of the one for whom we are living and we get our eyes on the problem. Don't focus on the trial. Embrace the opportunity. Not the opportunity for a trial, but the opportunity for your faith to grow. The opportunity for your relationship to God to deepen. The opportunity for you to impact other people. By how you navigate this trial. You have no idea how often that happens. I have people talk to me all the time. I know so and so and they're a Christian. I don't know. I I just don't get how they're going through this. Or even more commonly I talk to Christians who say I have a a friend who is not a follower of Christ. And I I don't know. What are they going to do? Integrate your faith. Number four. Integrate your faith. Don't let your faith become compartmentalized. Let the steadfastness that you are, are building and learning to, to maintain, let that have its full work so that you can be perfect and complete not lacking in anything. Let it force the faith out into your life. Right? We can, we can keep it compartmentalized. Trials squeeze our faiths, maybe we can picture it like oozing out, all right? It gets out into the cracks and crevices of our life. Because God intends to use trials to make us complete, whole, integral individuals whose faith affects everything. What an incredible, different perspective, Right? I don't need to try and avoid trials. James doesn't ever say, go find them, right? He doesn't say, man, you need more trials in your life. You need to go look for them, cause a little trouble, see if you can't get some, right? He says, when they come, inevitably, reevaluate, consider how you're going to look at them as an opportunity for joy, for God to be glorified in your life because they develop steadfastness, they develop your endurance. And endurance, when it is finished, brings about maturity and completion, wholeness, and enables you to lack nothing in terms of how you're responding to trials. What an incredible thing that God would take that which we really resist facing that God would take things that we've grown up thinking, man, you got to avoid this, and we would embrace it as something that God has given to us so that we can be more conformed to the likeness of Jesus. What an incredible thing, right? Man, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Christ, we would love to talk to you about that. Or maybe you're going through a trial today, uh, the team's going to come, and we're going to sing another song. And while they're coming, uh, there are going to be prayer team members waiting here uh, under the screens up front. Man, they would love to pray with you about a trial you're facing, right? I mean, they can't take your trial away, but they can stand with you in prayer, and they can encourage you, and they can they can come to around alongside of you, and that's what they're coming for. Their intention is... To be here to pray with you. If you're here and you don't know for sure that you have a, a right relationship to God through Jesus, man, we would love to talk to you about that. Get that settled. Whatever it is, I hope you'll come and do that. We're gonna sing another song as we close, all right? And I'm gonna pray just before that, and we're gonna we're gonna ask God to prepare us to face the realities of life from a new perspective. All right, let's pray. Father. Thanks so much. Thank you for the, for the truth of Scripture. Lord, it's not flippant. It's not just telling us get over it and be happy. It is giving us understanding for how you use the trials and the inevitable struggles that we face in life. Lord, we all face them. We understand that some are profoundly difficult and some are just annoying. But in all of them, Lord, we want to grow in our steadfastness, our ability to remain under it without having to run away so that we can be complete, so that we can be mature, so that we can lack nothing as it relates to how we face all of life. Lord, we want to be people who let our faith affect everything. So I pray that as we sing this song in closing, as we get ready to to head out of here in a little bit into a new week, that you would help to change our perspective, fix our focus, Lord, as we follow after you. For I ask in Jesus' name, amen.